Praise God. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity and the privilege to come to the house of God to worship you and to praise you. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak your word, that, Lord, it might find fertile ground in our soul, in our spirit, and that God would bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, I pray that thy faith fail not. I pray that thy faith fail not. I want to begin by saying this. Someone is following you. Someone is actually stalking you. But there's someone else that's praying for you. Someone is interceding for you. And interceding means to intervene and mediate on our behalf. I had a profound revelation that sometimes we take for granted as I was reading a book by an author who was going through a hard time and he said, and Jesus prayed for me. I kind of thought about that for a moment. I said, you know, we, we pray for ourselves and we pray for each other. But how many times do we say, and Jesus prayed for me? It kind of was like a revelation. It's like there is someone whose name is Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father that makes intercessory prayer for us. I thought that was profound. How about you? Jesus in Luke chapter 22 and verse 22, he announces his betrayal. And he says, and truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. How many knows your life has a determination? How many knows that your journey is in control by the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is Christ? As it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus announces that he is going to be betrayed, obviously by Judas. And betrayal is a disloyalty. It's a deceit. It's an unfaithfulness. It's a deception and dishonesty. It's an infidelity. And we see betrayal in marriage. We see betrayal in friendships. We see betrayal in relationships. And it's hard to digest when someone is betrayed. It's hard to understand betrayal unless you have been betrayed. So the disciples respond as Jesus is telling them, that some person is going to betray me. And in Luke chapter 22 and verse 23, the next verse, and they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Well, what was happening? They were seeking an answer. Well, who is this person? Is it one of us? Is it someone outside of our group? They started to question one another. Not only did they question, but the word inquire means they disputed with each other. They contended, they questioned, they reasoned together. Is it you? Could it be me? Is it you? They wondered. And they were demanding and craving an answer to know who and to know the answer of who was going to betray the Christ. 
Luke chapter 22, verse 24, something happened. As they were questioning one another, and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? Now, how do you go from questioning one another and disputing with one another on who is the person that's going to betray Christ to go to another realm and say, well, who among us is going to be great? Who's going to be greatest? Who's going to get the label? Who's going to get the title? I'm the greatest. And what does it mean to have strife? It means to quarrel. They were actually quarreling with each other. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die on the cross. And you guys are inquiring who that's going to be. But in the next breath that you're taking, you want to know who's going to be greatest among you. And so there was a contention. There was an eagerness. There was a, a love of strife. There was an, a, an eagerness to find out who's going to be the greatest. They were all in contention. And they were all in competition to be the greatest. Pride set in as an air of importance seemed to surface in their lives. Had they gotten too big for their shoes? Had they gotten too proud? Had their egos become so enlarged? The book of James says, James 3.16, For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. When there's contention, there's strife. And where there's strife, there's confusion and every evil work. We have to look at our homes. We have to look at our marriages. We have to look at our relationships. We have to look at our friendships. And we have to determine if there's strife among us. You have to determine if there's strife in your home, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships. And if there is, their Bible says, I didn't say it, the Bible says there will be confusion and every evil work. Wow. Wow. I said to the folks recently that I had a dream and the dream went simply like this. The Lord showed me a house with a front door and the door was wide open and the evil spirits were coming in. And I said to the Lord in the dream, I said, why are the evil spirits coming in? They weren't coming through the back door. They were so brazen, they were coming through the front door. And I said to the Lord, why are those evil spirits coming into our homes? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, because my people are not resisting the devil. Strife, all kinds of spirits that we're not even fighting against anymore in the church world. We're not teaching people spiritual warfare and the weapons of our faith. And we're just allowing the enemy to come in and consume our homes, our marriages, our families, our children. And we say nothing about it. We say, what will be, will be. Or we'll say, well, maybe they deserve that. Maybe they have to go through that. No, I think it's time to put the blood on the doorpost of the house and shut the door and say in the name of Jesus Christ, you don't belong here. You're not part of my family. You're not part of my marriage. You're not part of my home. You're not part of my children. You're not part of my parenting. You're not part of my church. Hmm. 
So Jesus took the opportunity to give a teaching in Luke 22, verse 25. In the King James Version, he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, so that he doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. Is it not he that sitteth at meat? But I'm among you as he that serveth. In the message version, the same words say this. Jesus said, it's true that the Son of Man is going down a path already marked out. No surprises there. But for the one who turns him in, turns traitor to the Son of Man, this is doomsday. They immediately became suspicious of each other and began quizzing one another, wondering who might be about to do this. Within minutes, they were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest. But Jesus intervened and he said these words. Kings like to throw their weight around and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior and let the, eager, the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be? The one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? But I have taken my place among you as the one who serves. Jesus was putting an end to their contentions and arguments and pride and said, you want to know who's the greatest among you? He that serves and washes the feet of his brother and sister. He that has humility and gets down before God and serves. Not the one with the title. Not the one that thinks he's the most important in the room. But the one who serves his brothers and sisters. And so then Jesus turns and says a word of commendation. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 28, he says, And you are they which have continued with me in my temptations. He's giving them honor now. He gave them a teaching on them being proud and contentious and quarreling among themselves. But now, as the Lord always does, he praises. And he praised them and he says, You are they which have been with me in my temptations. So what does he do here? He commends the disciples that they have continued with him for three and a half years, how have they continued? In his temptations, which, are, which were his trials, his temptations, his assaults, and plots against his life. They continued. They didn't run. They stayed with him for three and a half years. And the word continue meant that they abided with him. They remained with him. They endured with him. They were present with him. They stood with him. You would think in your mind and in your heart, that they would remain strong and not lose faith. But we'll find out in verse 31, we will see that Jesus speaks to Peter, but actually is speaking to the whole group when he said, you, I pray that your faith fail not. Follow me. What was going to happen that didn't happen in the prior three and a half years that the disciples walked with Jesus? Jesus had some rough moments. The disciples with Jesus had some rough moments. They tried to kill Jesus numerous times. The disciples walked with him. They followed him. They went with him. 
They were always in danger as Christ was in danger. So what was going to change? What was going to change? And here's what I believe the change was. The change was going to be the intensity of the stress. Let that register. The intensity of the stress, the trials, the violent assaults, the plot of the enemy was going to intensify immediately in the present hour and in the days to come. Friends, it's going to be the same for us. The heat will be turned up in the last day. The enemy will come against us and intensify his efforts because he knows his time is short. And he wants to produce strife and evil and confusion and pride in our homes, in our lives, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our churches, and in our country. So he can divide and conquer. It's going to be the same for us. But Jesus gives us a clue when he says in Matthew 16 and 18, he's responding. And he's saying, it's going to be tough for you guys. The world hated me, they're going to hate you. But I've overcome the world. I've had tribulation and you will have tribulation and trials. And fiery trials will some of you have. But Jesus said these words in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hold on to that thought. That the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word prevail means to overpower. The word prevail means to be strong to another person's detriment. It means to prevail against or to be superior in strength to overcome. Jesus is saying to us and to the disciples, as he said in that day, the trials will intensify for you. The moments of despair will intensify. The tribulations will intensify It will become stressful for you disciples and it will become stressful for those that are living in the last day. But the enemy will not overcome you because Jesus says, I pray that your faith fail not. Follow the thinking. Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 59 and verse 19, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. That word enemy means to narrow you. It means to put you in a tight place, to put you in great distress. It means like a hard pebble or sharp stone pressed into your shoe and you put your foot into it. It's an aggravation. It's an irritation. It's an antagonism that the enemy brings against you. It's a vexation. It's a harassment. It's an assault. It's a siege against you. And when he says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, that enemy is Satan. That enemy are are those demonic forces that are unleashed against us to kill, steal, and destroy. But what did the Lord say? through the prophet Isaiah. When the enemy comes in like a flood, and what's a flood? A flood is what some of you are going through even now. We use the word, I'm overwhelmed. What we're, what we're really saying is I feel like I'm drowning and I'm treading water. And I feel like I'm holding on to a board 
And I hope the board doesn't disintegrate in the water because I'm trying to get to shore. You see, friends, life is stressful. It's coming from us from all sides. And I, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that it's all going to go away. I wish I, as a pastor I could uh, have a magic wand and say, it's going to be okay and you're not going to have to go through chaos and confusion and trouble because strife is going to come. People are going to quarrel. People are going to become contentious. People who love us now will eventually at times become our enemies. The Bible says, but the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. I said, what's the spirit of the Lord? The spirit of the Lord is God's breath. It's a violent exaltation. It's God's life. It's the Lord's anger. The Bible in Hebrew, it means a blast or a tempest, a whirlwind. It means a blow. <laughs> it means to smell, perceive, and anticipate the enemy working against you. Follow this. The Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard. God already knows what's going to happen today to you and me. He already has the information. He's already anticipating the flood coming against you. He already knows. That's how much he loves you. Listen, follow this. It's like God is salivating to thwart off the attempts and assaults of the enemy. It's almost like God saying, you think I don't have a clue what's going on here? You, you, you think I'm in the dark? Do you think I fell asleep last night in heaven? Do, do, do you think I'm laying down here? Do you, do you not know I know your schemes and your machinations and your mechanisms and your seductions? And don't you know that's my child? Don't you know that's my son? Don't you know that's my daughter? Don't, don't you know that's my child? You're serious, aren't you? To think that the Spirit of the Lord will not lift up a standard against you? <laughs> Let me remind you, enemy, how many times have you been defeated already? Amen. Let me remind you that I bruised your head and you haven't been right since. Come on now. Let me remind you that on the third day I did come out of the tomb, that I did wake up, and that the blood that was shed on Calvary was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. Praise God for the forgiveness of sin and for my children. And I made a covenant with them. And I said, I will be with you always. Yeah. It's like God is in the opposing team's heart. Listening to the plays that they're contriving against the children of God. And then when God thwarts their efforts, they're trying to figure out, how did he know that? How did he get the scoop on that? How did he get that memo? How did he get that text? How did he get that email? Because he's God. And he came right in the middle of your huddle and said, there is no secrets in the universe. 
There is no secrets in the I know exactly what you're up to and what you're trying to do to my children. He knows the enemy's plan, and God enjoys coming to our aid and blasting the enemy. He is our victory. Intense and in trying times. He said he would lift up a standard. Follow the word here. He causes the enemy to hightail it. We see the backside of the enemy when God intervenes in our life and gives us victory. To lift up a standard actually means to flee and to escape, to put to flight, to cause to disappear, to fly to the attack on horseback. Mm. It means to drive hastily, to chase away, and to vanish. What's God saying? I'm there. He's coming back on a horse. We're going to ride horses in the battle of Armageddon where the blood will be up to the bridle of the horse. God knows how to ride the horse. God knows how to ride the flood. And God said, I'll lift up a standard and I'll cause my people to see the backside of the enemy running away from them instead of running toward them in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus changes his tone now. And he says to the disciples, I want to talk to you about reward. In Luke chapter 22, verse 29, in the King James Version, it says this. He says, And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father has appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In the Message Version, I love this, and it says this. Now I confer on you the royal authority my father conferred on me. So you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened as you take up responsibilities among the congregations of God's people. This is the reward for continuing with Jesus. It says he will give us royal authority. What does that mean? Royal authority is given by the king. And when you have royal authority, you have access to the throne room of heaven because the king's scepter is always up when a son or daughter of God walks into the throne room of God. In the Old Testament, if you dared go into the king's chamber without him lifting his scepter, his stick, you would have been killed on the spot. You had to be invited into the king's presence. You don't need an invitation any longer. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, praise God, you can walk into the throne room of God and say, Father God, I need to speak to you this morning. Because Lord, I'm going through a stressful moment in life. I'm going through a confusing time. I'm going through a time, Lord, where it seems the enemy has plotted against me and it seems, Lord, like I have no answer and no victory. Let me remind you of the Psalms that David wrote when he bore his heart out to God, when he cried out to God concerning his enemies, when he cried out to God concerning his emotions. We must reevaluate the ministry of tears we must reevaluate coming before God and crying out to God. Crying out to God and say, God, 
I don't like what's happening. I don't like. Listen, we must become like Jacob. He wrestled with God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Oh, of course, Jacob. When God threw out his hip bone, a man can't do much pushing without his hip bone in place. And God was saying this to Jacob. I'm going to make you walk with a limp for the rest of your life, Jacob. Because that limp represents me taking away your strength, your carnality, your thoughts, you figuring it out. And I'm going to replace that with my thoughts and my plans and my ways, Jacob. No longer will you be able to push against. No longer will you have the strength in your leg because it'll go out of socket now and then, now and then, and now and then. And you will become strengthless in your own power. That's the problem with Christianity. We're trying to go in our own strength. We need to wrestle with God a little bit. So God can take out our hip bones, so to speak. So God can take away the strength and our natural abilities that we rely on. And we have titles for that. Look who I am. Look what I've done. Look where I've been. Look at what I can do. I don't care. What you can do. He doesn't care about your ability so much as he cares about your availability. So that his spirit can work through you as long as we contend with God. And we desire to do it our way and figure it out our way and push. People push in their homes. They push in relationships. They're trying to make it happen. Back off. Back off. Because you know what? As my mother says, am I talking to the wall until I'm blue in the face? You know what she was saying? I'm not getting through. And sometimes we push so hard. I see people with their motivational talks. Let me talk to them. Oh, you're so great. Are you, are you so gifted? You have such ability that you think if you talk to them, that you're going to change their destiny? Are you serious? You know what you're saying? You're saying that you have pride. You're saying that you know more than God. What we should be saying is, Lord, give me your thoughts to speak to that individual. Let me get down on my face and get down on my knees. And Lord, let me find out what your plan is first for my life before I tell you what the plan is for your life. Everybody always wants to tell someone how to do it. We have assumptions, presumptions, suppositions, and we think we know the answer for that person's life. And I say to myself, well, how come you can't find the answer to yours? It doesn't make sense. How did you become so smart in the head of the class? Can you hear what I'm saying here? God says we have royal authority. We have royal blood, so to speak, flowing through our veins. And until you see yourself as that, in your operating image, you will be defeated. You'll be a loser in the kingdom because your head will always be down 
And you'll always try to figure out how to solve your problem, but you're going to find this. The problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like poison ivy. It starts one spot, you scratch it, and before you know it, it's everywhere in your body. Spiritual poison ivy is so evident in people's lives. So he rewards them and he says, I'm going to reward you in the kingdom. But then he turns and he says in Luke 22, verse 31, he's speaking specifically to Simon. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Listen, when your mama called you by your name twice, you better listen. And when God called your name twice, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Ooh. Where did this come from? Peter, strong man, fisherman, natural man, knows everything about the sea and the lakes and fishing and so on. He's so smart. He's a professional fisherman. He knows about life in the natural. And God says, you're about to get whipped, boy. <laughs> the enemy's going to take you to the woodshed, man. And you don't even know it. What's he saying? He's saying to Simon in the message version, Simon, stay on your toes. Because Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. Now, follow this. This is very important. Jesus repeats Simon's name twice, which is an indication of what he's about to say is of the utmost importance. You know, one of the things that disturbs me about being a preacher is that you preach the word of God hoping that people will listen to the word and allow that word to come into the good soil so that they may go out and do the word and apply it to their life. But I find so many times that I preach and I'm supposed to because it's God's mandate for my life. But I like to see more application. I like to see people actually apply the word of God that's been preached to their life and to their homes. Even though Jesus cited Peter, these words were not just for him, but for all of the disciples. Because if you look at the word you, when he said, Simon, Simon, Satan desired to have you, that word you is a plural pronoun and refers to the whole group. Some people think that Jesus was only speaking to Peter specifically. He was using Peter as an example because Peter was going to put his foot in his mouth in a few minutes. And I'll show you where he did it. God was going to show him his pride and his ego. God was going to show him, hey, you think you're so great because you know the natural. You think you're so good, don't you? But you're about to be whooped. And I'm trying to warn you. And I'm praying for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. We must realize that Satan already deceived Judas and had his grasp in the group. Satan ambushed him, and now Jesus is warning that Peter and the disciples were in similar danger of betrayal. He got Judas after three and a half years. He got him. What did Judas see? So miracles. The Lord ordained Judas. I know that a lot of preachers don't believe this. 
But he was one of the 12 that went out to do miracles and cast out devils. Because he had the anointing of God until one day he decided for 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. And then the Bible says, and then Satan entered into his heart at that moment. And Jesus is warning the disciples, you are not immune to the machinations and schemes of the enemy. Jesus is saying, while you were playing games for supremacy among yourselves, you don't even see the danger that you're in. Follow. Jesus said the enemy wants to come and sift you. That means he wants to shake you down. It means inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. Peter had no idea what was going on in his life. This is even before he denied Christ at the trial. Jesus is giving him a warning. But Jesus is saying to him, as he's saying to us, through 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This is not a game. This isn't, this isn't I, I wish this could all go away, Pastor. I, I, I wish the turmoil that I'm in would just disappear. I, I wish I could wake up to a, not a nightmare, but some glorious thought that this is all over. You see, as the enemy was plotting against Peter and the disciples, at this moment, even as we sit here in the church, especially because we're worshiping Jesus and God and listening to a preacher preach the gospel, the enemy is already at work going to try to figure out how he's going to get you before you go out the door. He's already contending for your soul and your spirit. The devil is the false accuser. He's the one that defames and he's the one that maligns and he's a a roaring lion. What does it mean? He howls like a wolf. He howls like a dog. He howls like a beast seeking. He wants, he craves you. He demands you. He wants you. Because he's upset with you. Because you jump ship and turn to Jesus. And you don't think he wants to swallow you up and destroy you? That's what it means to devour. He wants to swallow you up and destroy you. The enemy has one desire. And he gave us a clue, Jesus did, when he spoke to Peter in those verses, that he was saying to Peter, the enemy wants to separate you from me, Peter. And Jesus is saying the same thing to us in this verse. The enemy has one desire, and that's to separate us from God and from one another through afflictions and distress. The enemy has an agenda and a plan for the downfall of those who believe in Christ. Should have said amen. You're in a fight. And you can go to bed and put the covers over your head. And you can wish this will go away. But you're going to wake up when you wake up. And it's going to still be there. Until we respond to what Jesus is saying. Look what it says in Luke 22 verse 32. Here's my comfort. But I have prayed for thee, Peter, and the rest of you, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. What does it mean? Think about who's praying for you right now. 
Listen, we can pray for each other, and that's wonderful. But when you think that Jesus is praying for you right now, he's making requests. He's beseeching the Father. He's making supplications for you. He's asking on your behalf. The word prayed means to bind or fasten with chains. You know how much God loves you? See, he doesn't want you to get away from him. The enemy wants you to get away from Jesus. The enemy, enemy wants you to think that what you're going through is the end. It's over. Forget it. It's not. Unless you want it to be. Unless you want to go down that road and concede to the enemy as he comes in like a flood. As you allow the front door of your home to be open. There comes a place where you have to become spiritually fed up. You know, sometimes my mother used to say this. And we knew exactly what she meant when she said this. Boys, I've had it up to here. You know what that meant, right? You know what it meant when your mother said, I had it up to here? Something happened that we came to attention at that moment in our spirit. And said, if you push mom one iota more, we're done for. Done. That's right. It's kind of like when my kids were young and they'd be upstairs and they'd have some friends over and they were frolicking and wrestling and upstairs and I'd go down to the bottom of the stair where I'd say, kids, time to go to sleep. And they would say to each other, don't worry, dad's not mad yet. And a few minutes later, dad come back to the bottom of the stairs and say, kids, time to go to bed now. And they'd say to each other up there, it's, it's, my dad's not mad yet. And then I'd come to the foot of the stairs after a couple of times and say, kids! And they would look at each other and say, dad means it. It's time to go to bed. Be quiet. <laughs> you know, this is what God does for us. You know when the enemy is frolicking with us and wrestling with us and trying to take us out? God comes to the bottom of the stairs and he says, knock it off. Enemy continues. He comes again, he says, knock it off. I prayed for that one. The enemy still comes and brings more demonic forces. And God comes to the foot of the stairs and he says, all right, knock it off. That's my child. And all of a sudden, through the name of Jesus and through the blood of Jesus, they begin to flee. Amen. See, that's the kind of God that we serve. He said this, I pray that thy faith fail not. The word prayer means to be bound together like a wife and a husband. It means this also, to forbid, to prohibit, and to declare illicit. This is what Jesus is saying. When the enemy tries to sift you and tries to separate your faith from God, Jesus said, I'm not going to allow it. I'm going to prohibit. This is not going to happen. This is going to turn out for good. Even though the person involved in the situation right now doesn't see the good. 
But I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to turn it around. And he said, I pray that thy faith, and what is thy faith? It's our convictions that God exists, that God is the creator, that God is the ruler, that God spoke all of this into existence. And he says, I pray that thy faith fail not. He was saying this, I pray that your faith does not quit, does not cease, does not stop, that you don't leave it behind and you don't forsake your faith. What did Jesus pray for? Jesus prayed that Peter's faith fail not. Jesus prayed that Peter and the disciples be loosed from their pride because they were arguing on who was going to be greatest. He was praying concerning their contentions. This is what caused the contentions between the disciples. It was their pride. And this set up the enemy to come in. Because there's, where there's contention and strife, there's every evil work and confusion. We set the stage for the enemy to walk through the door. Just by our words. By our arguments. By our debates. By our quarrels. And what we're actually doing is we're hailing the enemy, come on in and make more confusion in this situation. Just come on in. Let it be a demonic parade. Overtake us. That's what we're saying. <laughs> Jesus prayed about their apparent dangers and assaults that they would come under, that were unaware unto them at this point. And he's doing the same for you at this moment because you're not even aware of what's going to happen down the road concerning assaults, harassments, trials, tribulations, afflictions. He's already praying. He's already interceding. He prayed for all, but especially for Peter because he knew Peter's thoughts would be revealed in Luke chapter 22 and verse 23. He said, Peter said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to, to death. Look at the macho man. I got this. I can figure this out, pastor. Jesus, I don't really need you right now. I'm so smart. I took this course in college for the solution to my problems. Jesus looks at the church sometimes and he says, I don't think they understand the attack of the enemy. I don't think they understand Ephesians chapter 6 when it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, not yours. You're not going to win on your own. You can try. You can try to do better. You can try to be better. You can try to be gooder. More gooder. It doesn't work. It's just your ego flaring up. It's your pride saying, I don't need intervention. I don't need help. I don't even need Jesus to pray for me. I've got it so good, man. I've got this. I'm in control. I have power over the situation. <laughs> you know what Jesus was really praying for in Peter's life? He was praying for Peter's I'm right spirit. Lord, you have it all wrong. I'm right. I'll go to prison, Lord. I'll go to death. Peter, do you know what you're saying? You're saying, I'm right. I got this. 
Well, I'm trying to tell you the enemy is at your door ready to strike you and pummel you. And you're saying, I got this. And you're boasting. <laughs> you don't understand me, Lord. I'm going to go all the way with you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto thee you the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having a, on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take the shield of faith, wherein you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of their wicked. That's what we should be doing at the front door of our homes. Amen. The enemy should see a soldier. Not armed with a gun or a machine gun but armed with the weapons of our warfare and see the blood that's been applied to the doorpost of our heart. And the enemy comes to your home and he says, not tangling with that one. They're connected. They're connected. No way I'm going in that house. No way I'm going to get whooped. No way I'm going to the woodshed. Even the demons are smarter sometimes. And no better not to mess with us. But when we allow that door to open because of pride, when we allow that door to open because I'm right, I got this, I'm right, you don't understand. No, you don't understand, God is saying. We need to come back to the place of humility because those darts are flying. Those missiles, those javelins, those arrows that are on fire are are firing toward us. This is not a joke. They're firing toward our children. Intercession through Jesus. He said to Peter, but I, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. In John 17 and 8 it says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. He was praying for the disciples in John 17. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Then he changes course in John 17 and 20. He says, neither I pray for these disciples, but for them which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. He says in Romans 8, 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's our mediator. He's our go-between. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What's God saying? I'm praying for you. The Holy Spirit's praying for you. I'm interceding for my people, for my church. Doesn't it warm your heart to think that Christ is taking time out to pray for you individually? 
I know that's a hard concept to understand spiritually. But our faith accepts it as belief that Jesus has wrapped his chains around me. That he's not going to allow the enemy, if I choose Christ, to destroy me. It's a choice. If I lay down my pride and my strife and my contentions of wanting to be something, be recognized. People want to be recognized. People want to be singled out. Jesus said, if you want to be recognized and singled out, become a servant. Get up and serve. Get up and contribute. Wash the feet of your brothers and sisters, so to speak, through humility. Jesus was saying to Peter, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He was saying, when you come back to me, when you get your senses, you're going to get whooped here, but I got you. I know you think you're in control, Peter. I know you think you're the leader, and you are, but you're going to fail and fall on your face. It's okay. Daddy will be there to pick you up. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. You know, when your child falls on their face, it's easy to say to the child, I told you so. It's greater to pick the child up off the floor and hold him to your bosom and say, I love you. And we will get through this in the name of Jesus. There's a whole lot of difference. Nobody likes to be told, I told you so. <clears throat> Nobody likes to be read the riot act. No one likes to be demeaned, especially when the enemy has their foot on the neck of a child of God. Jesus, like the bond between a husband and a wife, just like he saw the afflictions of the Jewish people for 400 years. And he said to Moses, I've heard enough. He had to get Moses ready in the wilderness, in the desert. Moses had to hit 80 years old before that mantle and anointing came upon him to go deliver 3 million Jewish people. It was the determined time. 40 years in the palace, 40 years in the desert, and another 40 years before Moses deceased. When that 80th birthday came, the burning bush appeared, and God said to Moses, it's time. It's time to go back to the same mountain that you failed, and I'm going to give you victory. Listen, the children of Israel started out from Kadesh Barnea, and they could have made their trip in 11 days to Canaan's land. But 38 years later, listen, God brought them all the way around, back to the same foot of the mountain that they started at in Kadesh Barnea. And God said, now I'll give you victory. 
You see, God will bring you back to the same mountain that you failed at. That's right. <laughs> to give you an opportunity to choose victory instead of defeat. To choose him and not be separated from him. He says, when thou art converted. He was saying, Simon, I, I pray for you in particular that you not give in or give out. So many people are giving in. And they're giving out. Even in churches, they're changing their doctrine that they've had for hundreds of years, which they believed. And now all of a sudden, they're changing doctrine that is so fundamental to Christianity because they're given in and they're given out to the voices of the world. God was saying to Peter, when you have come through the time of testing, Turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Don't you understand? When we endure a trial, when we come through an affliction, and many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him from all of them, we have a testimony. It doesn't mean we're not going to be in a fight. Paul said, I, I, I have the wounds and the scars of Christ in my body. Paul says, I die daily. I've been in prison. I've been in shipwreck. I've been in perils. And through all those trials, Jesus chained himself to Paul the apostle. And Paul came out on the other side with a testimony. He said, yes, I even despaired of life at times. But God gave me the victory. Yes, I was bit by a scorpion, but I shook it off. Yes, I was in a shipwreck, and it was me and a board and Jesus that got me to shore. Because he chained himself to me. Because in my heart, I wanted him. More than anything else in this world, more than fortune, more than fame, more than wealth, more than anything else in this world, I want Jesus. And when you come through, and you don't give in or give out through your time of testing, you'll be able to sit down with someone and say, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit did I come through this trial and tribulation. And this is my testimony of Jesus interceding for me and strengthening me so that I can worship God and love God. What does it mean to be converted? It means to turn again to the worship of the true God. To bring back to the love and obedience of God. To love his wisdom and righteousness. And to raise our hands, praise God, and say, thank you, Jesus. I can still praise you through thick and thin and through hell and high water. And close. He said, strengthen your brothers. Cause them to become stable, Peter. Cause them to keep their place. Keep them intact. You're the leader. Stand ready and prepare to help. Be of steadfast mind. Do not hesitate or waver. Because Peter, you don't have this. But I do. I'm right, Peter. And if you follow me, you will become a great man of God in the kingdom. In closing, Peter was restored to Christ. 
And through the influence as a leader, we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. I love this verse. But Peter, look what it says. Standing up with the eleven. Stop right there. See, this whole discourse was concerning Peter and those disciples. About them being in danger of being whipped by the enemy. About their strife and their pride and their contentions and their quarrels and their confusions. Wanting to be the best and the greatest. But look what the restoration of Christ did in their lives. But Peter, standing up with the eleven. That's the remnant church. That's the church of the last day where people will stand together. The Bible says, He lifted up His voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. That's right, right, Jimmy. He was saying, listen up, people. Because I've been through some stuff with this Jesus. And he restored me. And I've been to the upper room. And I have received the power of God's Holy Spirit. And Peter says, I give him the glory and the honor. And now I want to speak to you about your own salvation. And how God wants to save you. And bring you back to him. Whereas the enemy wants to separate you from the Christ. What's God saying today? We're going to have intense moments of stress and trials and tribulations. We're going to all be sitting down at one time or another at our kitchen table, shaking our heads with our hands on our heads saying, can't believe I'm going through this. But I want you to remember this sermon. What Jesus said, I prayed that thy faith fail not. Don't give in. Don't give out, even though it looks bleak and dark at times. Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that believeth in me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. God bless you, and thank you for listening.